into the hyper time the hyper time to podcast i am your host josh miller and today we are going to be talking about something huge that happened in the comics industry back in the 90s and to do that with me is my co-host alan muir alan how are you doing today i am looking at a gigantic screen that (laughs) is doing wonders for my neck so to speak (laughs) but it's a pretty screen yeah very very pretty that's good. Very well, wide. <laughs> well, I'm sure what you're going to be looking at today isn't going to be too beautiful, as it's probably just a white screen with text. But hopefully, it, I, mean, I mean, when when don't I? <laughs> true. I mean, it is big enough for you to still see all this, right? Yeah. Okay. So I don't know how long this podcast is going to go, but it's pretty long, based on my notes. I think it's the longest one I have so far, or pretty close to it. Um, so yeah, I think maybe we should just get going. So this isn't too terribly long, but hopefully it's worth it. So kind of before we get started on this, I did want to have like a little note here at the beginning. Um, as I was doing a lot of research, I was coming across some information that I don't know if it's necessarily conflicting or if it's just based on the like timeline, it's not jiving completely well. Um, it could be because there were so many cooks in the kitchen, so to say, for what is happening, that each one's information's kind of a little bit different. And considering that we're talking about something that happened 30 years ago, it's not surprising that the people behind the scenes are may not have everything jive completely together. God forbid, I can't remember stuff I did last week, much less 30 years ago. So, But what we're talking about today is Milestone Media. It was a brave attempt with some creators to do something different with the industry, something that the industry had not really seen before and something that would help change it for the better, even though those involved may not have been completely satisfied with how it ended up at the end. So yeah, um, Alan, kind of where are you with Milestone? Like in terms of what you know about it and all that. Well, because of this podcast, I know more than I did, say, when I first started reading comics. Mm-hmm. And like many who started uh, when I started reading comics, the main thing I, I connect like that, the synapse that connects to Milestone is static. Yep. And the loose sort of connectivity between Milestone and DC. When I was uh, like six, seven years old, I'd watch Static Shock on uh, Channel 11 and Green Lantern, like the John Stewart Green Lantern, mm-hmm. would have interactions with Virgil. And when I got to an age where I wanted, wanted to know more, like I was expecting it to be something like Image or Valiant. Oh, yeah. But instead of just happening upon certain facts, I'm now search, actively searching them out. It was a milestone for people of color, people of different sexual orientations, and just iconic. No pun Mm -hmm. intended. Yeah, I know growing up, I wasn't really familiar with Milestone um, outside of the Worlds Collide story arc, which, go back and please listen to that. It was episode two. Um, I didn't really have any idea of who any of these characters were. Place I was buying comics didn't 
carry milestone books. I wasn't even really aware of milestone up until, you know, forums in the mid two thousands when they were trying to bring back several of the characters, but you know, all throughout the nineties, your best bet at finding out any of this stuff is through wizard. And I didn't really buy wizard magazine outside of, I think maybe two or three (laughs) issues. You know, even something like Static Shock, uh, by the time that cartoon came around, I was kind of, it came out at the end, what is it, end of the 90s, beginning of 2000s? Yeah. Yeah, so at that point, I was kind of like, you know, moving into high school and everything, and my schedule never really allowed me to watch the same cartoons I would always like growing up. So I never really, honestly, I don't think I've watched much of any Static Shock. I think I've caught bits and pieces here and there, but for the most part, I don't think I've seen a single episode fully. Same kind with Justice League Unlimited. You know, I did watch Justice League, but when it came back for Unlimited at that time, same thing. I didn't really have a schedule that worked with it. So it wasn't until probably, I think it was 2009 when my wife and I moved in together and I could DVR episodes of it on Cartoon Network. (laughs) And that's kind of when I started watching all of them. And so, you know, at that point I was starting to understand like what Milestone had done and, you know, Dwayne McDuffie in particular and his impact with Milestone and him continuing to push some of those characters afterwards, along with um, something we'll talk about in the next episode with Justice League. But yeah, Milestone, it's one of those things that when it happened, I wasn't aware of it. And now that I am aware of it, I wish I wish I could have supported it back then because it had a lot of amazing ideas behind it both with the characters they were trying to tell along with the stories and the world they were creating. And it did so much for fans who weren't represented like they should have been. And, you know, to this day, I think it's left a ripple of people trying to create characters that it's still not where it needs to be. Milestone is still leagues ahead of where comics are right now in terms of representing those people. And so hopefully with Return of Milestone. Some of that will come back to the forefront in comics. So let's go ahead and get into the creation of Milestone here. So it all came about in 1992. Dwayne McDuffie, Dennis Cowan, Derek Dingle, Michael Davis... And most people don't realize Christopher Priest, although at that time he was known as Jim Owsley, they all came together to revolutionize the industry. Um, Dennis Cowan had the idea initially, and he wanted to start a company that featured black characters that were creator owned. Um, At that point, all these creators were under bigger publishers and whatever they did there typically had too many decisions made from higher ups. And so they wanted to do things that were theirs, that no one but them could dictate who these characters were, what was happening to them, all that. And so in 1991, Dennis reached out to Michael Davis at San Diego Comic-Con and told him to meet him in the lobby so he could convey this idea of them starting up their own company to do this. Michael Davis thought this was crazy, which Dennis agreed it absolutely was. So they thought Dwayne McDuffie would be a great fit to kind of help take charge in, in a way with this crazy idea. And so it was basically 
Dwayne McDuffie, Michael Davis, and Dennis Cowan all walk in the halls of Comic-Con, running down the plans of what would eventually become Milestone Media. And so the plan was from there that they would reach out to either DC or Marvel to see who would help get this idea off the ground with them. So Cowan went to McDuffie to see how he felt, and Dwayne liked all of it, except he wanted to make a change. Whereas Dennis's idea was focusing on black characters and black creators and all this, Dwayne wanted to extend that out. He didn't want their work to focus on just black characters. He wanted to focus on all sorts of minorities, including, you know, Asians and women, gay characters, all, you know, anyone who is underrepresented. And that is what they were setting out with Milestone. And when Dennis heard that, he was like, you know what? That is perfect. That is exactly what we should be doing. And so what started out as a pure black company ended up being something that was to represent everybody that the bigger companies were not representing. And so prior to meeting up with DC, uh, they all met in a donut shop down the street from the DC offices. And at that point, they had all kind of come together and wrote up a proposal um, that Christopher Priest would, you know, finish typing up and everything that was given to him by Dwayne McDuffie. And at that time, Christopher Priest had also come along with the M logo, which is something that he had. Sorry, I had to run over to the random trivia. I might as well push it in here. So the big M icon that everyone knows for Milestone Christopher Priest is the one who came up with that, but he had help with DC cover editor Curtis King. And I feel like, you know, as I was going through here, bits and pieces of it would have Christopher Priest mentioned as a co-founder. Oftentimes, especially up throughout all the 90s, he was basically never credited as being a co-founder. There was a point, I don't even remember what year it was, that Dwayne McDuffie specifically called out Christopher Priest as being there at the foundation of all this which Christopher Priest noted on his website that he greatly appreciated that was finally being put out there. And so, so he, yeah, he came up with the M logo for milestone. Um, and then they all decided on the name milestone media because milestone, they were naming after Dennis's son who is named miles. And so milestone media, as it was Dennis's baby was named after Dennis's actual baby. <laughs> As I mentioned, their first goal was to tell stories without influence from editorial. This was to be their stories, ones that they wanted to tell that any bosses could not come through and change. They wanted to create a multicultural world in a way comics just weren't at the time and, quite frankly, still aren't today. Dwayne's specific influence on this type of world came from Black Panther that showed him, as we discussed last episode, not only could black characters be heroes, but they could be other people too, from villains, doctors, etc. So he wanted to do something similar to give kids the same feeling they had that they could be anyone else too. And so he wanted to help make a world in which it wasn't just white people walking around. It was people of all colors, people of all genders, people of all sexualities, all of that. But Dwayne also saw Milestone as a storytelling company. He wanted both the writer and the artist to work together to craft a story instead of just one or the other taking like a lead role. However, all the founders really wanted to give new creators, especially those with diverse backgrounds, a shot at the industry. Uh, most of the company, you know, comic companies try to gain readers by bringing in established names already. 
but Milestone wanted to bring in new talent. He wanted, they wanted to teach these new creators storytelling methods and more. Part of this came from Michael Davis. At that time, he was teaching at the School for Visual Arts um, under a some sort of art program, I think, with, if I remember right, it was, oh my god, off the top of my head, uh, Motown, if I remember right. Um, and I thought I thought he did that. That was post. I know he was with Motown Post, but I think he was also doing stuff with them before and during. I could be wrong there. Hopefully, I'll be able to clear that up, which I'll talk about later. <laughs> but yeah, Michael Davis, as he was teaching at the School for Visual Arts, he would try and funnel some of that talent into Milestone as well. So that's where a lot of these artists started getting their name from. People like Chris Cross, people like John Paul Leon. I think Jamal Eigel was in there too. And, you know, there a lot. There's a ton of people who are still around today who helped make a name for themselves through Milestone. On the writing side, Dwayne would mostly write hardware. He would mostly write Icon. Originally, Static was supposed to be written by Michael Davis and that fell through for reasons that aren't completely known. As Dwayne started to write Static, he felt his plate was kind of overloaded a bit with everything. So they brought on Robert L. Washington III to help with Static, set in place by the co-founders. And he would go on to write a good amount after co-writing with Dwayne at the beginning. I think he was co-writing with Dwayne for the first four issues. And then from there... He took over for, I think it was 15 issues or so, something like that. Meanwhile, Blood Syndicate, which none of the co-founders really took charge in wanting to write, that would fall eventually onto Ivan Velez Jr. What happened there was Dwayne would meet up with him at several NYC conventions over a few years there, and he would talk with Ivan, and they would get to know each other in a way. And Ivan really hadn't had too much exposure in the industry. He had one small story in Adventure Comics prior to getting into Milestone. And he had written different gay comics as well. You know, Ivan Velas Jr. is a gay man. He is a gay Latino, which is not exactly... The industry is not inclusive, as it should be. Being a gay Latino, he didn't really think he would have a shot of being in the mainstream. There were certain walls that were kind of put up that prevented Black Ivan from getting in there and making a bigger name for himself. But Dwayne saw the potential, and he offered him a shot to write the team book that they were doing with Blood Syndicate. And he wasn't entirely sure. You know, he was still trying to make a name for himself. And so he wasn't easily swayed, but he and Dwayne had talked about it and Dwayne cleared up any worries and Ivan would eventually be brought on to write Blood Syndicate and be part of the Milestone family. Then there was working out distribution and licensing rights with DC Comics. DC would help distribution, which was a major boon for Milestone. But in turn, DC had the licensing rights. Outside of a crossover that was required in the contract, which, again, we discussed in Worlds Collide. Please go back and listen to that. Milestone was given a free reign of their universe, as long as it fell within certain guidelines made by DC. It is very similar to how Wildstorm would would work. Other than that, the Dakotaverse would exist outside of the DC universe. DC had the right to not publish something, but they wouldn't push creative control outside of that. 
for the most part, they would just deal with distribution, marketing, merchandise, all that stuff. And so now that they had all that stuff out of the way, Milestone Media would officially launch on February 23rd, 1993. Now, because of their focus on diversity in comics, they had to approach inking much differently than other companies. Companies like DC and Marvel, it wasn't unusual to see skin tones being poorly reflected in the ink. As we noted in the last episode with black people being purple, um, you know, Asians were this weird yellowish color. Latinos would be gray. So Milestone went a different route to expand their color options to be more accurate. What they would use are Dr. Martin dyes, I guess is what they're called. And that would then be reproduced on watercolor paper, watercolor paper. And from there, they would then be hand painted. It was a similar approach to how Valiant would do it. And while their colors could be described as muddy, it did exactly what they set out to do. And characters that were meant to be diverse looked like they should have instead of these weird, grotesque, miscolored monstrosities, monstrosities. That's a good way to put it. They looked exactly how they were supposed to look and they represented who they were supposed to represent. But diversity was expanded outside of the skin color too. Milestone wanted their world to be contemporary and be as close to the real world as possible. So diversity wasn't just like the surface level, just the appearance. They had characters with different religious views. They had different backgrounds, different political views. Um, one example is Icon. One might imagine he would be more liberal given his backstory, but he was a conservative. Um, in one issue, he even mentions that people should pull themselves up by their bootstraps like he did coming from his slave background. And so they did a great job of being more than just, look, see, everyone is black. Everyone can be gay. Everyone can be women. And then stop there. Like they put in the work to have all these characters truly represent what the world is like, as opposed to so much of the cookie cutter characters you get in DC and Marvel. Can I uh, tell like a, something that Dwayne told? Absolutely. Like, when he was writing Justice League, or we talking when he was taking over Justice League. Sure. He was told by DC management of like management to, to add more characters in, like Firestorm, the Jason Rush Firestorm, mm-hmm. uh, John Stewart, uh, Green Lantern. And like the whoever was the artist at the time did like a mock up of all like of the like the new characters. That was Ed Benz, right? I think so. And somehow got leaked, and there was a big outcry of people saying, "Dwayne, they're like they're turning just just like black, they're getting rid of the white guys." And I just man, yeah, wasn't even his choice, but he was the one who was getting for you know making the Justice League black, which is dumb <laughs> don't even care the stories they're telling it's just god forbid there's more than one black person on the team what was it called the rule of threes i think it was yeah if there's some more if there was three or more than three people it was a black product mm-hmm. and yeah but with all that he had broken the rule his rule of three i i, I love all of that <laughs> and we will talk more about that next episode too nice plug so i have a few quotes on what milestone was supposed to stand for so for example Derek dingle says milestone is an entire 
multicultural world with Asian Americans, Latinos, women, everybody. We want a rich environment with all colors and genders represented. Dwayne McDuffie says, I didn't want to become the black version of my criticism of mainstream comics. One of the major things I was trying to accomplish was reproduce that feeling of belonging in a younger generation of readers. And lastly, Dennis Cowan, we are touching on issues that have never been touched in this medium before. Our heroes are not born heroes. It's something they have to grow into. Life's about change, overcoming obstacles, and becoming more than your environment. And that's what our characters have to do. So when it came to actually creating these characters, there was a lot of work put into it. So once everyone was together, they all started brainstorming this core group of characters. They joined Dennis Cowan in his studio in Manhattan or Michael Davis's basement, and they would work out different characters based on already existing archetypes and other companies. And this would lead to long marathons of knocking out character ideas, some of which would be 13 hour long sessions or so. One thing that did come from these sessions was the idea of the Big Bang. And this would be a large explosion using gas created by Alva Industries, which would give rise to metahumans by mutating their bodies and giving them powers. Like so much of Milestone, the Big Bang was actually based off of a real event. Um, It was based off of the Philadelphia police bombing of the black radical group Move in 1985. And I could be wrong. I haven't seen it, but I keep hearing Watchmen referenced. And I'm wondering if you've seen, I mean, you've watched Watchmen, right? Yeah. Is this the same thing that happened in that episode? I think I kept hearing something about a, like a bombing that happens in Watchmen that is very, that sounds like it. I think it's supposed to be something like this. That's based off a real event. I'm wondering if it's the same thing. Uh, I wouldn't be the best person to ask. I haven't seen Watchmen in a while. Okay. Yeah, I kept hearing about it. I'm wondering if it's the same thing, but... The movie or the show? The show. Yeah, I chose to watch... I I stupidly chose to watch the last few episodes of the show. Oh. Skip the large majority. Yeah, if I remember right, there was a lot of talk about attention finally being brought onto like a black neighborhood being bombed in the Watchmen show. And so I think it's based off of this exact same thing. So yeah, if I remember right, this black radical group had a lot of run-ins with the police and everything. And when they finally figured out where they were located, which is just like in a black community, the police ended up bombing the entire neighborhood. And so the big bang, which started characters like static and the blood syndicate is based off of that event that happened in 1985. And then, you know, after they get all these characters together and get the go-ahead from DC, this is kind of where Christopher Priest would bow out and why I think he's often forgotten about as a co-founder of Milestone. You know, the plan was that while he was working with DC, he would kind of be their inside man to help get things done. But this would quickly fall to the wayside because Priest was having his own personal issues particularly with a marriage he was trying to help save. And so he would actually stop working with DC for a bit too, I believe. So that's why Christopher Priest is often not associated with the co-founders of Milestone Media. But let me reiterate, he is very much a co-founder of Milestone. And so I wanted to also kind of get into a little bit about the creation of the characters. Um, I don't have so much here on hardware, but... We'll we'll start with Icon here. So, uh, Josh. Yeah. Are you talking about the Tulsa massacre? The what? The uh, Tulsa massacre. 
Is that what the Watchmen was based off of? Yeah, the it was the single worst incident of racial violence in American history. Okay, yeah, I wasn't sure what it was based uh, off of. I knew there was, I knew there was multiple <laughs> occasions where, yeah, it, stuff it, like it, that it, happened, but it was uh, the Black Wall Street stuff. Gotcha. Okay, so it wasn't the same event. Just you know, it's not like the black community has ever been treated well by police at all in this country. So the first hero we'll talk about here is Icon, who is very clearly <laughs> the Superman archetype. And much of Icon would come from Christopher Priest, both the premise and the backstory for Icon. And he was even originally called Paragon at the time of his creation. However, they couldn't get clearance for the name. So that's why they changed it to Icon. Um, his Icon's wife, Estelle, was actually based on Priest's grandmother, Estelle Young. He also came up with the idea that Rocket would be the first unwed mother superhero sidekick in comics. But Dwayne originally proposed her to be without superpowers. But Priest, uh, this is one of those cases where things kind of differentiate depending on who's telling the story. Um, supposedly, Priest forced him to give her some powers, which in the end, Dwayne figured worked out great. Uh, Priest recalls it a little differently as he says he didn't really care if Rocket had powers or not. Uh, but thinks this might have been more of M.D. Bright's suggestion, who I believe was one of the original creators on the book when it started. Dwayne was the one who came up with the idea of Icon's ship being rocketed to Earth and found by a slave owner in the 1800s. Um, between the two of them, they, create, they created a character who hid his powers until a woman named Raquel Irvin tried breaking into his home and in the end convinced him to be a superhero with her as a sidekick. And this was something I had no idea about as I had not read the books, but Icon was the star of the show. He was, it was his name on the book, but the book was always about rocket. It was always her perspective. McDuffie and Cowan did this to subvert the genre and write a girl book hidden in a boy's superhero book. Cowan once noted in, you know, I haven't checked the books to confirm this or not, but you never see a thought bubble from Icon. You would see what he did, but you never knew what he thought. So everything in that book is supposedly from Rocket's perspective. And so anyone who thought that that book was written, you know, for men was very much wrong. That was a book for women, <laughs> just told in a very, very well way to hide that fact. Because as we know, all know, boys can't read anything early, especially when they're younger. But Rocket was supposed to serve a similar purpose for black women that Static did for black teen men. You know, the first black female lead in comics started in Marvel a year prior, named Captain Confederacy, which is insane. But Rocket following immediately would still have a huge, would still be a huge thing for women, um, especially black women. Obviously, Static is their other, another of their big characters, and he was being modeled after Spider-Man. While working at Marvel, Dwayne felt Spider-Man had kind of lost what made him special. Um, one, you know, a few examples that Dwayne would use is that he was being, you know, he was married to a supermodel, which is not exactly the kind of dork, loser kind of thing Peter was supposed to be known for. Um, you know, he was living in a loft, stuff like that. So he started planning out a character while at Marvel that would match his vision of what Spider-Man should be. And it never got off the ground at Marvel. So when Milestone came around and they were talking about having a character like Peter Parker and Spider-Man, 
Dwayne went back to this idea. And so we got Static, which was a name that Christopher Priest would also take credit for after a James Brown song popular at the time called Static. Even a part of the song, Don't Start None, Won't Be None, was reworked and appeared on the cover of the first issue. Won't be no static. crew thought this was an amazing idea to have a character to represent them, especially one that was very similar to who they were as children. But much of the foundation for static was built on the life of Michael Davis. Davis's mom, Jean Lawrence would be changed to Jean Hawkins. Um, his stepfather, Robert would be Robert Hawkins. Static's dad. And instead of the name Virgil static was originally named Alan after Michael's cousin. And like static Sharon, was his sister's name as well, Um, even though the name Hawkins was a surname on his stepfather's side of the family. But Dwayne wanted to make one change to the namesake, and that was to switch out Alan with the name Virgil. And this is the same name as a black man who was denied entry into the University of Florida School of Law and fought for decades for his ability to practice law, Um, Virgil Hawkins. One major difference that McDuffie saw between Spider-Man and Static is that Static isn't a hero out of guilt. He didn't do it because someone close to him died and he felt he had to become a hero to honor him. He did it because he thought it was fun. Static grew up with science fiction. He read comics. He was a nerd. (laughs) He was the, as Dwayne would put it, he was the proto-nerd. And that would all propel him to be a superhero. To give a Spider-Man comparison again, he gave him static powers, which were similar to Electro. And... They were good to go from there. Now, McDuffie would be credited for much what came out of Static, and I feel like that's still true to this day, but he did have help. Um, When Milestone first got underway, he was a little overwhelmed, as I mentioned, writing multiple books. He was co-writing the company. Um, So they reached out to Robert L. Washington III, who, if nobody is aware, passed away in 2012. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't either. I was researching this. Uh, Dwayne's original four issue outline for Static was improved upon by Washington. Um, not only by what Dwayne says was improving the written dialogue and infusing more nerdiness into the character, but also making changes as well. Washington was the man who came up with characters like Tarmac and reworked villains like Hot Streak, which are which is better known now as F Stop. Um, Static once had a brother but Washington replaced the sibling with two sisters, which this was a thing I'm not sure how accurate it was because it sounds like Sharon was always there and I can't find anything about two sisters. But again, this was something 30 years ago. Who knows (laughs) the exact details? And at one point, something got written out. I don't know. Um, Most importantly, he forced McDuffie to watch an incredible amount of Degrassi Junior High. To get the yeah. feel. <laughs> I knew you were gonna like that, Alan. <laughs> to get the feel he wanted between characters. Um, so yeah, after Dwayne saw all these improvements that Washington was doing, he gave him the opportunity to be the sole writer starting with issue five. Then there's Hardware, who is the Iron Man slash Batman character. Dennis is probably the one behind hardware the most because he liked Iron Man. He would also be, in the end, Cowan's favorite of the characters created, too. 
Um, there's a quote from Matt Wayne, who is the former Milestone managing editor who spoke with Dwayne about having an angry Batman character who used gadgets. Um, so there's a chance both Cowan and McDuffie were kind of on the page when they came together and formed hardware. But much of the story of hardware came from their treatment at previous companies. The character hardware is named Curtis Metcalf, who is a genius mistreated by a white businessman who would then come up with the hardware persona to fight criminals and mega corporations. And it, the way it was written was to show similarities to how workplaces treat their black employees, which is very similar to all the black co-founders feeling that their input was being mistreated by the white businessmen of the bigger companies. So they formed their own, own persona of milestone media to kind of go against the, not necessarily fight Marvel and DC, but fight, I guess, I don't know if I would put it as injustice, but fight a fight that they were not willing to do. And sadly, I don't really have, that's about all I have on hardware. The actual name of hardware is something Christopher Priest takes credit for. Blood Syndicate, I have probably the most on, or pretty close to it, just because I was able to get Ivan Velas Jr. to give me some, some help with this. So... The Blood Syndicate were gang members who were originally affected by the Big Bang, and their makeup of identities was nothing like comics had seen up to this point. So Dennis came up with the name Blood of the name as they were throwing out different words to decide what the name would be. And no one, I couldn't find who threw out the name Syndicate, but Christopher Priest is the one who thinks he's the one who put the two words together. And Priest was also the one who would come up with characters such as Tech Nine and Third Rail, DMZ, and Y Sun. Um, y Sun, for instance, was named after a childhood friend of his who would become a member of the Five Percent, which is a Black Muslim sect. But Ivan Velas Jr. would be the one to come in and add so much to what would become the Blood Syndicate. In an email that Ivan responded to me with, um, he said this about creating Blood Syndicate. I did some research and added some of the social political elements of a depressed urban area like my beloved Bronx. I added the history of the immigration to Dakota and Paris Island, as well as defined certain ethnicities that dominated the landscape. Before I got to them, the Blood Syndicate, even the entire Dakota universe, had a problem with real diversity. All the heroes were African-American. Even Zombie was originally black and later changed to a Korean man. The only Latina was icons made and never used. Dwayne was very kind and told me the reason I was hired was to bring real diversity to the characters. So I rolled up my sleeves and went wild. I made fade and flashback Dominicans with dark skin since Afro Latinos were invisible in comics and tech became Puerto Rican. Third rail was already Asian. So he became Korean masquerade originally male and named morph became a secret female to male transgender and brick house became a Puerto Rican woman. There was a dictate to make one of the members of the syndicate white. So I changed one of the nebulous monstrous characters into boogeyman and made his whiteness a secret as a commentary on the order for above and cultural appropriation. I added a couple of my own characters like Aquamaria based on a wa water deity from my, f from my family's Santeria background and Kwai, a Chinese fairy from my love of Hong Kong fantasy movies. My decision to have Aqua only speak Spanish as so many immigrants do was fully supported. I was even allowed to design a couple of the characters, like Kwai, 
I hope I'm pronouncing that name right, and could sketch ideas for Boogeyman, Brick, Tech 9, and Third Rail that were all incorporated for their final looks. In this way, I took the Blood Syndicate very seriously and still consider it one of my babies, even though it's an adopted child. Now, when this was originally pitched to Ivan Villas Jr., he said it was pitched to him as X-Men meets Boys in the Hood, or something along those lines. But as he noted, he had a chance to mix everything up however he felt would work best for what the story he wanted to tell. And so he wanted to try and stray away from the stereotype of black kids being predators and wolf packs, which was common at this time. He used the dynamic of the disaffected youth and would think of them as family members to each other while making their gang culture similar to what he was recognizing the gangs in his neighborhoods as he was growing up in the Bronx. So... A lot of kind of what we discussed with the characters, um, the world, all of this would be in something that I don't know if I've heard any company use before, and it's called the Milestone Bible. So the Milestone Bible is a 400-page collection of mini Bibles based on each character in the world around them. So, for example... Michael Davis would have worked on the original static portion of the Bible when he was coming up with his mom would become Static's mom and all that. Um, During the final stages of the Bible, Robert III and Ivan Velas Jr. were brought on to work on their parts, updating Static and Blood Syndicate, respectively. Now, once all of these were done, um, Christopher Priest and Dwayne McDuffie sat down together and worked through the backbone of the Milestone universe, piecing it all together. The original document that was typed up was what was pitched to DC, and it would later be expanded upon into something larger that Dwayne would revise and edit uh, later down the road. Now, this Bible, God, I wish I could get my hands on it. I am so fascinated to see what this all contains. Um, yeah, um, when I watched the Sci-Fi Wire um, mm-hmm. like video about it, like I forgot who it was. I think it was Matt Wayne. Yeah, and he was talking about the like the whole. He was talking about it, and I just mainly searched like. I don't know why I went, immediately went to eBay, but I just feel like... <laughs> but, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, kind of surprised I, something like that's not out there. Maybe it is, I just haven't found it, but... but yeah, that exact same video with sci-fi, like, just seeing him flip through it and s- some of the pages on it, I'm like, man, that'd be so cool to look through. But yeah, this book, it contains sketches of characters in the universe, origins of all these characters created a shared universe with multiple locations that were multifaceted, such as Dakota, Paris Island, the 10th Avenue Bridge. The city of Dakota alone was 100 pages of the Bible, breaking things down such as the ethnic makeup, um, tensions between the people there, the neighborhoods, all of that kind of stuff. So it was in-depth. And frankly, I think, you know, if something that that existed when dc decided to do like the new 52 perhaps a lot of the problems that would come about from it would (laughs) would not have existed had they put in that much effort to create their own universe as you know dennis and Dwayne and christopher and (laughs) Derek and michael all did to create milestone so more than likely we'll probably read a little bit of milestone um, and talk about it on our fourth week so I don't really want to touch on all the stories here. But there is one that we have to discuss because it's kind of what led to the downfall of Milestone. And that is specifically static number 25. So as we mentioned, Milestone was given free reign to do what they wanted with their books. 
and they were not scared of testing some of those <laughs> boundaries. But that boundary was found with Static 25 in particular. And this would be kind of where the relationship between DC and Milestone would hit the rocks. And not even so much the story as much as the cover. So within the book, the team was tackling teen sex within the issue. And the, um, the cover, beautifully illustrated by, I think it's Zena? Zina? Not sure there. Um, Zena Saunders. It was Virgil and his girlfriend making out on the cover. They were on a couch. They were in the process of undressing themselves. And Virgil was holding a pack of condoms. Teens getting hot and heavy. But for the most part, it was still pretty tame. And this book was meant to be special. It was like an anniversary issue. Issue 25 for this new company. Um, So Dwayne had the idea for Virgil to lose his virginity. And at that time, Ivan Velas Jr. was writing the book. And he took it very seriously because he used to work as a youth social service agency. You know, during this time, AIDS was a major talking point, especially when it came to people of color that was hitting extremely hard at that time. So this wasn't something that they wanted to take lightly. They wanted to do this right. And it was important for them to nail it the best that they could. But a few months prior to the book releasing, Dwayne had started to hear rumblings of DC not printing the cover. And he didn't believe it because of the supposed freedom that Milestone had. And nobody actually reached out to him directly. It wasn't until he saw something in the coming comics section where it would show different comic covers that were going to be released in the future. And it was showing a different cover for Static 25. So he reached out to Paul Levitz to clear this up. And Paul's defense was that it was too sexual. And DC has supposedly, at least, has a policy about not showing sex on covers. Now, anyone who's a fan of comics knows how much garbage of an excuse that is, because we know exactly what kind of content goes on covers of comics, and Dwayne knew this as well. So he ran the cover anyways because it was in line with the rest of Milestone. It was a true cover. It was real. It was what... You know, not just black teens would, you know, go through, but any teen. It was, <laughs> it was real. It was something any teen growing up may run into. And the only difference is that it was specifically black sexuality. And Dwayne wasn't going to shy away from that. He wanted to stick to his guns, and that's exactly what he did. But much of the problem. <laughs> came in the editorial at the end of the issue where Dwayne brought all of this to light, which is in line with what would happen with Justice League years later, because there's not... This is one thing I've always respected about Dwayne, is that he's never shy to inform people of what it's like behind the scenes. That is one thing I absolutely hate our creators who are too shy, they can't talk about the creative process, they can't talk about the ins and outs behind the scenes. I hate fans being left in the dark so much about everything. Uh, do you have the other, the other like the part two sort of, of this? With uh, Just League? Yeah, that will be in next week's episode. Okay. So yeah, Dwayne decided that he was going to leave an editorial on the page of the issue 
kind of explaining everything that was happening with the cover. And I will post this picture on the website. Um, so please go to VG.TV and where you will see this podcast being posted. I will leave a picture of it there as well. I don't, do you, I mean, do you want to read some of that? Should we bring it up here? Or should we just leave it for people to check out on site? Um, it's pretty lengthy. It might be better <laughs> just to read. Yeah. So, yeah. Basically he would go on there. He would air his grievances with how the cover was being handled. Um, and that would lead to Dwayne being removed from being editor in chief for a few weeks. And Dennis Cowan was actually who took over that responsibility while he was out. Um, shortly after that, Dennis Cowan would leave to go to his friend, Michael Davis over at Motown machine works. And, you know, at that point, Michael Davis had basically been forced out of milestone. You see for reasons he's not even completely sure of, which is why he never had the opportunity to write static in the first place. Cause he was kind of pushed out almost immediately. Uh, Matt Wayne quit. Dwayne would eventually return and stay there up through the eventual kind of folding in, of milestone into DC completely. But all of that, all especially with Dwayne being you know kind of removed from that position, that hit the milestone offices hard. You know, a lot of the working relationships um, there in the office, especially with when it came to DC, a lot of those were soured, soured hard. I'm sure a lot of the creators who were part of milestone didn't really want to deal with DC after that, um, at least not immediately. And I guess this is something that Paul and Dwayne would talk about from time to time. But in the end, they never really saw eye to eye on the topic. <laughs> Apparently, they had numerous discussions about this over the years. But, you know, Dwayne said that he, I guess he never regretted his decision. He thought he did what was right. And quite frankly, he did. I think, if I remember right, Paul was feeling like he was being called a racist for his decision. And yeah, yeah, very much. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I, can, know I, I support Dwayne. Everyone should. I don't know why anyone wouldn't. I, I will post both. Well, I will post the cover as well. So everyone can see VG.TV. Please go to the site and see exactly the cover in question. I showed my wife this and she's like, this is it. Like, yeah, well, that's nothing. Like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> I wouldn't say he, Dwayne McDuffie gave in, but he, I don't know if it was part of the original plan. There was like the uh, heart cover, like the mm-hmm. there'd be a first page would be a heart covering most of the main cover. Yep, and you'd open that and you see everything. Yeah, I think that was the kind of uh, agreement that they had to <laughs> to do with it. I, I and also listeners, I would not recommend watching the Sci-Fi Wire video that addresses this as um, Paul Levitz looks kind of. He looks very crusty. Yeah. He kind of brushes it all off. Like I wasn't in the wrong, just whatever. <laughs> you know, I know one of the things that, you know, Dwayne thought it might've been were the condoms specifically, and they were willing to write that out or, you know, have the artist scrub that out of the picture. And apparently that wasn't good enough. So quite literally, you just have two teens, two black teens specifically kissing on a couch, starting to get undressed. Like, <laughs> It's not a problem. It's not a problem. <laughs> That's 
It's kissing. It's teens kissing. And you know good and well if there were white teens kissing, <laughs> it wouldn't have been a problem. Yeah, they if you search on like if you search for the uh, for like static twenty twenty five, there's the published cover, which is the heart. Mm-hmm. And then there's the censored cover. Yeah, and there you know, I don't want to read it here, but Again, go to VG.TV where you'll see the editorial page where Dwayne discusses this. There's a good comment Dwayne left in there where he was talking about, you know, like, you know, if it was just that girl on that cover and she was in some weird position where you could see her thong or where her body was contorted in some impossible way. So her breasts were accentuated and you could possibly see a nipple. You know, I would have flew. That would have been totally fine. That kind of sex selling on the cover would have been totally cool. And specifically, I guess, during his discussion with Paul Levitz, when they were talking about Static 25, Dwayne McDuffie mentioned that behind Paul was an issue of Legionnaire 16, which yeah. Yeah, <laughs> showcased a side view of a blonde white woman. I, I'm not familiar with Legionnaire, so I don't know who the character is, but she's wearing a sexy costume, so we're like her... F- you can see pretty much her entire butt cheeks and her turned around kind of from the side, looking at the reader. And she has this like suggestive smirk on her face. And, you know, considering the uh, topic that he was having with Paul about how, you know, DC books can't sell books when there's anything sexual on the cover. And yet right behind him is a cover of a woman who is posed in a very sexual way. <laughs> on the cover of one of the books that they sold. So just, you know, from, I think from an outside perspective, it very much looks that black sexuality was the problem there. Not selling sex on the cover. <laughs> so to move away from that, um, I just wanted to couple, touch on a couple of criticisms that milestone would often be hit with. So milestone, I mean, even to this day, Milestone is typically considered the black comics company. And that was something that they were having a hard time shaking off from readers at the time. Even though they tried to represent everyone, they were categorized as something completely different. This would be contributed to Dwayne's rule of threes, but on a far larger scope. You know, this wasn't just opposed to just to comics. This was a company wide thing where, oh, you have more than one book that's black so i guess you're a black company (laughs) so yeah if we look at milestone we see that there are black characters in lead roles and because of icon and static and hardware being three black characters in main roles for that company they were often seen as the black comic company um regardless of characters like cobalt and zombie and the blood syndicate you know also being focused there but sadly they were also getting pushed back by the black community too i'm sure you saw this in the sci-fi video yeah. but uh you know the who's more black problem would surface with milestone as well you know despite all the benefits they received by dc for purely business reasons some of the black community felt they weren't black because they were working under a white company that they were working for the man you know and that the man was influencing their stories and stuff like that, which completely isn't the case. So they were kind of in a battle with, you know, they were too black, but not black enough 
type of thing. So it's one of those battles you just could not win, it seemed like. And so here we are at the end of the 90s milestone. So yeah, at the end of the 90s, the comic industry was in trouble. Um, not just milestone, but just all around. Sales were plummeting. Um, distribution places were dwindling. Companies were panicking. The you know Marvel went to bankruptcy. <laughs> Marvel went bankrupt. Like the industry as a whole was suffering, and Milestone kind of went under because of it. You know they lasted six years, which is good for what you know, considering how they started and what the stories they were telling and everything. I don't know of any other black creator company that lasted a lot that long. As noted, when they started. There were 12 distributors, and by the time they were done, there were only three. And retailers at that point weren't going to cut books like Batman or X-Men to get stock of static or hardware. You know, the market had fallen out of the collector's market, and Milestone was hit hard from it. And Milestone would eventually be moved into DC offices and folded into the company itself before being phased out. Dwayne stayed the entire time. And once Milestone was no more, he would go on to work on the animation side of things. You know, he would do Justice League Unlimited. He would do Teen Titans, the animated movie, all that stuff. All of which we'll discuss next week. The one thing I found funny was that, you know, if you ask someone who the best character was in Milestone, it would be static, right? Like Stack would be the one everyone would recognize. Yeah, and I, I, as I mentioned, a lot of people who didn't read comics when Milestone was a thing were probably shocked to discover. Hey, wait, he's a comic book character. <laughs> mm-hmm. And wait, uh, am I allowed to discuss uh, the show? Yeah, we've like So there was an episode that dealt with uh, Richie's racist father. There's an episode that dealt with like a school shooting. Like the show was, it may have been aimed at kids with the way it looked and everything. It's something, it was something that like an older, like someone who isn't necessarily in the demographic could very well, could very much enjoy. Hmm. Which is why when DC Universe launched, uh, two years ago. Actually, by the time this comes out, DC Universal will be DC Infinity. Uh. <laughs> and like, but is Static Shock on there? Static Shock is on DC Universe for the time being. Okay, I'll do a trial just so I can watch it before <laughs> we discuss it. I mean, I mean, you could just wait till March of next year, or till March when when it comes yeah. to when it comes to DVD. Yeah, but by that point, I won't be able to discuss it on the podcast. <laughs> I'll probably still end up getting it just so my kid can watch it too. But yeah, I, I, I bring this up because Static, you know, is kind of the the one everyone remembers from Milestone. But funnily enough, he was their worst selling book of the four <laughs> mainline titles. You know, Icon was actually the one that was selling the best, and he would typically sell between fifty to sixty thousand books by the time his run was ending. I mean. Compared to what the big books were selling at the time, it's nothing. But Dwayne still viewed it as this as as a success. Um, he yeah felt um, while you were mentioning like how I just quickly went to the site I told, we we used to find comics that are no longer available to buy. Mm-hmm. 
And I don't know why I went this, the issue I went with, but I went with Icon issue six. And yeah, not a single thought bubble for Icon. <laughs> like it's it's all Rocket. Yeah, like knowing that about the book now, I really want to just to see how how they put that all together because that sounds brilliant. And That's... I think I think that they crossed over with the with Blood Syndicate. Hmm. Yeah, I can't be surprised if none of those books crossed over at some point outside of the DC one they did. And something, another thing I enjoyed about by the time this happened, static like milestone was basically no more. Mm-hmm. By the time uh, Just League Unlimited was wrapping up, there was an episode where John Stewart, uh, Batman, and I want to say Supergirl, uh, they're transported to the future and. Like an older version of Virgil is a member of the league. Oh yeah, I vaguely remember that. And it had Hawkgirl and John Stewart's son. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which I, I have a feeling on the the fourth recording we we do, we're gonna be. I'm just gonna be gushing about how well, like how it's my love for Just League Unlimited. <laughs> we'll we'll actually touch on that a little bit. No. I mean, we will for sure touch on that next episode, too. But because apparently that's not going to be the last time, even after Dwayne, that we see those two kind of working together. <laughs> hint, hint, hint. But yeah. Um, in regards to the sales of Static, Dwayne thinks this was partially due to the time period they were selling the comics in. Um, as we all know, comics sure love being dark and gritty with their characters. And at that time, those were the kind of characters that were selling the best. And Static was not dark and gritty. He was fun. He was fun-loving. He enjoyed what he was doing. And so Dwayne kind of figured Uh, out maybe why the sales were not up to par with the others as well. Yeah, Static, while being like commentary, uh, social commentary, was also very much primary colors. Mm Mm-hmm. Which... Sort of like which is seen as well with uh, Superman, the Superman books, which actually now that now that I think about it, are also poor selling, or poor. They're not the best. Like they they're not selling the best. Yeah, do they still even show what the sales are on books anymore? Yeah, um, like the the right like the the usual suspects, uh, comicbook.com, uh, CBR. They'll occasionally talk about like the top the top five selling books. Mm. Yeah, it's sad because I know like back in the two thousands, like they were they would do like what like the top twenty books or something like that, and so you could see like what sales had to be before books like you know the ones I remember were like Blue Beetle and Manhunter and stuff like that. You know, were roughly around twenty thousand, but it seemed like once. Breaking a hundred thousand was a tall order for most books. Um, I think like the Superman books were going in the sixty thousands or so. I think Batman was usually, you know, Batman. A lot of the Marvel books, Avengers, and stuff like that. Those could tip around a hundred thousand. Um, event books would two, three hundred thousand, I think. But nothing compared to what the nineties were doing. And so I wasn't sure how everything was doing now. Um, so this is just something I just found out now. Uh, it appears that, remember how we talked about Naomi in the previous, uh, episode? Mm-hmm. 
she's getting a show. Oh, awesome! On C on CW, and That's because fast because of that, Naomi number one is or the first issue is rocketing up on eBay. Jeez, which is pretty much the the bad part about comics. <laughs> well, you were the one who said the same thing about like static right now, right? Yeah, you cannot like all, a lot of the milestone books are sort of like being gouged in terms of price. And I can't stand it. <laughs> well, now that we've talked about kind of the end of Milestone, let's talk about the attempted relaunch um, back in 2015. So originally when this came up, it started in 2011. Um, after Dwayne McDuffie passed away, the other co-founders, such as Dennis Cowan, Michael Davis, and Derek Dingle, um, it also included Reggie Hudland, who, if I remember right, was supposed to be part of uh, Milestone yeah. Media when it started, but was off doing movie stuff, so he couldn't, couldn't be brought on board. So all of them were at the wake of Dwayne McDuffie, and they were discussing reviving Milestone in memory of Dwayne and this would be discussed for some time, even though the first meeting of DC would take place just a few weeks after Dwayne's wake. And so that was in 2011 In 2015 milestone 2.0 was announced, but Michael Davis was much like the original milestone was no longer a part of it for reasons that he was unsure of. And not only that, nothing actually really came about with milestone 2.0. Um, things were silent for three years until 2018, where at New York Comic Con, creative teams were finally announced for books, and Hudlin and Cowan would be overseeing the story directions of all, all the titles. So originally, the creative teams of these books would be um, Dennis Cowan and Reggie Hudlin would be writing with Ken Lashley as the artist for Milestone, which would be the icon and rocket book. Um, they were going to do another stack shock book, of course, which would feature Dennis Cowan and Reggie Hudlin writing with Kyle Baker as the artist. This would just be a static reboot. There was going to be a book called duo written by Greg pack, which was going to be a new twist on the zombie series. And Jim Lee would be doing the covers for those. Man, that, that would, that would have been great. Because have you read any Greg Pak stuff? Um, I'm most familiar with I've read a little bit of a Superman stuff, obviously like World War Hulk and all that. Before like I wanna say twenty sixteen, he was at my local comic book store for free comic book day. Oh, cool. And because I'm the way I am, I was a little, I, I couldn't I was like I was awestruck, too awestruck to even leave my house. <laughs> so I, I left my uh some of my comics that I want him to sign and he spelled my name wrong. <laughs> Instead of two L's, he just left and put the one, one L. Uh, so if I ever, if I ever try to say, like use it to prove my cred, they'll just point out and say, you're, that's not you. You're not, you're, you have two L's <laughs> in your name, not one. I, I have a similar story. So at one of our comic cons, um, Lou Ferrigno was one of the people there. And I, I have no love for Lou Ferrigno. I, no, whatever. But my brother grew up watching him on Hulk. 
And my bro- my parents used to love telling the story about how my brother was terrified of the Lou Ferrino Hulk, because I guess there's an episode where he busts out of the sewer um, in the road, and I guess it scared the piss out of my brother <laughs> when he was little. And so I was like, you know, my brother would eventually come, he would like, you know, karate and fitness and all this. And so I think, I was thinking, you know what? I'm going to get him, I'm going to get Lou Ferrino to sign something to him for <laughs> Christmas or something. Spelled my brother's name wrong. I was like, oh well. <laughs> well, yeah, there's a, I, I was going to try to come up with something witty, witty but I just couldn't. <laughs> so some of the other books that they had, um, one was going to be called Love Army by novelist Alice, by novelist Alice Russell, uh, which would be a secret worldwide organization that kicks ass. That was about all that was known of the book. Um, and then the last book that was noted was Earth M, which would be by Alice Russell and Reggie Hudland. Hudlin. And then there was also plans for a second wave of books, which to my knowledge never came about. Um, but all of this would stall when Charlotte McDuffie, who's the who was the wife of Dwayne McDuffie, would file a lawsuit. Um because Dwayne's 50% of milestone rights weren't being reflected in what DC was doing at the time. And so none of these books saw the light of day. That is until 2020 and the return of milestone, which is what we're currently undergoing. So, you know, as I noted, all this should have been done sooner, but that lawsuit put a halt to all of it. So basically my understanding of this is that Charlotte McDuffie was suing Milestone founders about the relaunch of Milestone because it left out McDuffie's estate of the 50% share of Milestone rights he owned. What they ended up doing to kind of get around this was create a new entity with this Milestone, which would bypass anything McDuffie would have received. You know, And supposedly, since this was talked about happening at his wake in the first place... Um, I guess that kind of made things even worse um, as to, you know, how it all came about. Let me know. Um, So the first thing is that everything or certain books are going to be re-released digitally. Um, You know, part of the delay in these books that they can't just drop everything immediately is how the books were originally done. Um, Because they were done on a blue line and painted, the process to re-photograph everything takes longer to get it done right. And so just re-releasing everything digitally takes far longer to get correct um, than just an easy, you know, scan and (laughs) scan and drop sort of thing, you know, and all these stories, they'll be re-released in print. um, But how far down the rabbit hole of milestone books they're going to do, I'm not entirely sure. Um, This started in September, 2020. Um, Currently you can find books, which thank you, Alan, for bringing that to my attention because I apparently never saw any of this information while I was researching. Hardware Volume 1 is out. Icon Volume 1 and 2 is currently out. Um, And stuff like this will continue to drop throughout the month that this episode will drop in February 2021. So hopefully we'll see a ton more come out. Um, So have you read Dark Knight's Death Metal Infinite Hour Extreme? Part three. <laughs> um, it's a death metal tie-in, obviously. 
Yeah, I've read a few of the tie-ins. Um, is that the one with Blue Beetle? Is the one with Lobo? Lobo. Okay. Yes, I read. I did read that one. Yeah, like, or it turns out that one of the characters who shows up is Icon. I'll have to go back and look at that. I must have missed that. Or it's a Loboized version of the of Icon. <laughs> and looking at the image, it sure is something. <laughs> I'll have to go back and look at that. I must have missed it. In the he he's on the left in the back. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, they had Dennis Cowan was like he did work on the book, so yeah, that was the pocket universe or whatever that they put him into, right? Like the little pocket universe they put the Batman Lobo into to stop him or something like that. Yeah, that Lobo created. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the Batman who frags. Yeah, that's that's a fun issue. Yeah, see, the nineties are sort of returning in comics, but <laughs> only the good stuff. Only the good stuff. <laughs> well. Actually, no. Considering Marvel or DC's now where Marvel was, yeah, in the nineties. Oh Lord, help me! <sighs> and now yeah. back to the show. So there will also be a new Icon and Rocket story being done by Reggie Hudlin and Dennis Cowan. A new Static book will be released digitally by Kyle Baker. There will be another new Static book um, as a graphic novel by Reggie Hudlin and Ryan Benjamin. I guess there will be dropping new characters as well. Um, Supposedly, Milestone will not be integrated into the universe, or at least not quote-unquote these Milestone characters, Um, but they will instead exist on their own separate Earth, Earth Earth-M. Of course, who knows where that stands now with the Omniverse and everything about to happen. Both Reggie and Dennis are working in equal terms on decisions, though one may take the lead from time to time. So that means that Reggie doesn't have any less say in comics than Dennis does in, you know, any TV and film decisions being made. Um, There is a static shock movie in development. Michael, Michael B. Jordan is producing. God, that's so smart. I hope we, I hope we find out more information on that soon. That could very well be like a live action into the spider verse type of moment for, for black fans. I hope it's I hope it's good. There are supposedly two other static shock projects currently being done and several non-static stuff as well. They're planning audiobooks. Um I guess there's a planned radio play. Um, there's a couple animated projects. They did release a milestone returns sampler which I will link to in the show notes. And then as you brought to my attention before this episode, that the Static Shock TV series is being re-released on DVD on March 28th. Is there something there I'm missing? Do you know? Uh, Dennis Cowan. Obviously, there's a bunch of interviews with him, that, with him regarding the return to Milestone. And mm-hmm. he mentioned it was him and uh, Reggie Hudlin that it's not going to be a nostalgia fest. They don't want the, that to be the the whole atmosphere of the, the relaunch and in the uh, milestone universe returns, there's updated designs of icon and rocket. Obviously does that milestone returns? Are they supposed to do another like single book talking about everything? Or is that the, 
Because I thought there was supposed to be like a book that had like different creators kind of touching on what they were planning on doing. Is that what that one is? Or am I just making this up? <laughs> uh, you may be making that up. Okay. <laughs> I might be mixing it up with the Omniverse yeah. book. Uh, the, like they kind of, they, they revised Static's origin. Who's, he's not, Virgil is now a, a classmate of Rockets. And while attending a Black Lives Matter pro- protest disrupted by violent counter-protesters, Virgil ingests an experimental tear gas unleashed by the police that cause, causes unlocks a set of <laughs> electricity-based superpowers. So, I like that they can bring in all this current stuff. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of stuff they can use for stories. I also like the... Because I don't know how much Static and Rocket crossed over back in the 90s. I, you know, the really the only milestone thing I'm familiar with is that World's Collide story. And I really liked when Rocket and Static were were together. I thought they bounced off each other pretty well. So uh, There are some new characters. Duo. Uh, there are two Asian-American scientists who are also in a, in a romantic relationship. Hmm. And they're after an experiment goes horribly wrong, their bodies and minds are merged into a single composite being, taking on the moniker Duo, which hmm. is um, Gray Pack is working on that. Oh, good. He's still a part of that. That's awesome. There's a myster- mysterious figure called, named Dharma, and it's he apparently he seems to be preparing humanity for a coming war. And then there's another new character is is a mysterious winged vigilante acts with unrelenting fury and like icon and rocket see him menace an interracial couple and icon notes that he's that he attacks anyone he sees as deserving his brand of quote-unquote justice hmm. but with no regard for the actual law so yeah I, man i'm curious if they keep his origin with like the slave background and all that i think that background is super cool so i would hate for them to get rid of it yeah, they Bruce Tim. Do you never uh, watch uh, Just the Gods of Monsters? Yeah. Is it just me, or does it feel, or, or does it feel like Bruce Tim did, did a little homage to Icon with how they handled uh, Superman? Yeah, I could see that. I feel like Bruce is pretty good about trying to sneak stuff like that <laughs> into his work. Yeah. Overall, I'm just I cannot wait. With that, let me go ahead and get into the random trivia part. Um, Some of this we've already touched on, so I can skip little bits and pieces here. Um, So one thing is that although Milestone, you know, did try and make a comeback in 2015, that wasn't the first time it was attempted. So they were originally trying to come back in 2000 with the help of Bob Johnson. Um, Michael Davis had worked up a deal, but... When he did that, one of the other co-founders was not wanted as part of the deal, which pissed off Davis. And so he backed out, Um, as he put it, if not all of us, none of us. And something similar happened at the 2013 San Diego Comic-Con event, where they tried to do like a 20th anniversary thing for Milestone. However, it was Derek Dingle who wasn't invited or remembered And so, again, they planned on pulling out. You know, again, it was a 
if not all of us, then none of us. And so Derek Dingle was brought on and the panel went off as expected. Um, something that I totally did not realize when I watched the show growing up, but in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, you can actually see copies of Milestone Comics in the background of the pool house, um, such as hardware and static from time to time. Um, it's actually there by the back door as characters would walk in and out of frame. So when WB was pitched the Static Shock TV show, the pitch by Alan Burnett was essentially, it's Chris Rock at 14 with superpowers. This sold them, uh, but Dennis Cowan would come in a little later and detail to them exactly who this character was. And then this last one we kind of mentioned um, with Milestone coming back and Stack Movie being started. Um, you know, back issues are being bought up and sold online for crazy prices. Um, some examples include Static Number One selling for sixty to eighty bucks. Um, Icon 42, which I think is the last issue, um, is selling between 35 to 70 bucks. So if you don't want to hold on to those or you have a way to get a hold of them, apparently there's some easy money there. So uh, so I'm looking at I'm looking at the what the what the cover that Paul Levitz didn't seem to think was equal to or more provocative than. Uh, Static 25. Mm hmm. This feels, this looks like a parody. <laughs> and nothing against, nothing against Mark Wade. It says in what looks like Marker, guess who's back with a direct shot of back. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, pretty clear that uh, DC not wanting to sell sex only matters when uh, it comes to black characters. Not. <laughs> Selling sex, yeah. That the um, it's the character you were you were trying to figure figure out who it was earlier. It was uh, mm-hmm. Saturn, Saturn Girl. Okay, that's what I thought it was, but I think when I was looking up the like issue credits on I don't know some fan site that like details who all's in the book and stuff. I don't think I saw her name on there, so I was like, okay, it must be a character I don't recognize. So. So yeah, I will put that on VGU as well, just so everyone can see the kind of content that DC is okay with selling on their covers, in contrast to the cover that they do not want to sell. So kind of before we get into the outro of all this, um, I do want to make a note that currently is December. I am trying to get an interview with Michael Davis, um, co-founder of Milestone, and ask him, depending on what I'm able to, quite a bit of questions. Um, I'm trying to get a date settled down with him first. So hopefully I can get that underway. Um, If it does, I will probably post that at the end of the fourth episode that we do for this month. Um, if it's, if I'm lucky enough and it can go super incredibly long, I'll post it separately, but I have a feeling it'll probably be on the shorter side, just based on missing what will be allowed. Um, I'm also trying to still go back and forth with Ivan Villas Jr. A little bit about some follow-up questions. And if I can do that, I will post that interview. If he gives me the, 
the go ahead to do so. I will post that on VGU as well. And by the time this posts, I'll know for sure. And I'll mention it on Twitter or whatever, if that is the case. So yeah, hopefully I can find some more information out about milestone in particular. I am first off, please check the source notes there. I, there's so much there. I went back through archives of wizard magazine to find (laughs) milestone stuff. I could, I, you know, as you mentioned, Alan, there was the sci-fi shows. There were, you know, plenty of interviews, both of current milestone and, you know, Michael Davis wrote several pieces on both milestone now and what it was like back. A lot of that will be in the source notes. So if you have any interest in this, please go through that stuff. There's a lot of cool things to read and watch and hear and all that. So a lot lot of good stuff. So please, please check that stuff out if you're interested. Um, Other than that, is there anything else you want to talk about milestone before we head out? Alan? Uh, No, not really. Yeah. I'm curious to where it goes. I hope it succeeds better than, you know, what it has. I feel like characters just kind of come and go. If there's somehow another, like a third Worlds Collide, that would be fantastic. In the Worlds in the Worlds Collide episode we did, there was I'm not sure if I'm not sure if the DC canon will still be the way it was back then, but I mean, but then again, they can they can retcon i mean it's weird you know talking as a uh straight white male how important milestone was yeah um clearly i think when we bring javon on i would like to talk to him about you know being a black dude and how comics has not exactly represented him as well as they should i mean if if i understand right javon was never really big into the comic stuff right yeah, as I mentioned, um, back in 2015, 2016, when they released, uh, they, were, they were releasing DC at, at like DC figures or like stuff, DC figure stuff. And they went to do the original static costume. Me and Javon just being dumbasses. <laughs> because we, what well, we thought we knew based on the cartoon. We had we knew very we knew basically nothing as compared to the the comic book series. Mm. And something that uh something I'm surprised you didn't get like put down as trivia was the whole stuff with Mark Bernardin. Like the story he tells about uh like when he during the new fifty two run of static shock. Yeah, I was being whether not to do anything with the new 52 stuff. I probably should have. So if you want to go ahead and bring it up now, you can. Yeah, so uh, Mark Bernardin is a writer, obviously. He's also well no- best known these days for his collaboration with Kevin Smith on uh, Fat Man and Batman. And now Fat Man, uh, Fat Man Beyond? Is that what it is now? I think so. Because I know that they had to um, change they had to, they had to re- rename the show because of copyright <laughs> which I so dumb yeah but <clears throat> he mentions that 
he was real excited to like he was i think after a shoot like after a certain amount of issues he was uh he was taking over the book mm-hmm. and as soon as he like as soon as he found out the book got canceled and the, th- the thing, and the thing that my personal feelings about the Static Shock, uh, New Fifty Two, New Fifty Two series, that should have been the characters. Uh, like with with New Fifty Two, they with at the end of Flashpoint, they brought into like they brought in the Wild, the Wildstorm characters, the Vertigo characters, and characters who just weren't seen for a long while. I know I know I'm, I I shouldn't be armchair publishing, but certain, certain there were certain DC books that were left to that just should have been canceled sooner, and the ones that were let that were let, left to go for very long, and uh, I'm totally not refer- talking about uh, the Green Lantern book from New <laughs> Fifty Two, which I just that is the one thing I hate more than anything in comics. Actually, no, I hate Ethan and Skyrim more. <laughs> Static Shock should have been, like, they should have done a, use that as an outlet to test the waters, see if certain milestone characters would be welcome in the 2010s. Like, having a, having Static's adventure, or Static story, story and having, I like guess, like an, like an eight-page backup story but on rocket or icon or hardware hardware mm-hmm. but the, i have a feeling that if they did try to do that uh there'd be another lawsuit yeah i feel like something like the dc universe presents yeah, series that, w- that they were doing yeah that would have i feel like that would have been a great fit for them to just kind of test the waters with certain characters as well but i mean they they did like they had they had tested the waters and had character like characters who couldn't maintain a, their own book. Like the obviously the first, the first arc was Dead Man. Yeah, Challengers of the Unknown. Uh, they had one with, uh, they had a Sansa Lambs type story with uh, Vandal Savage. <laughs> it's like Black Lightning and Blue Devil. Oh, and just like they had opportunities and. You know, the new 52 would have been a great way to work them in there and at least see if what the reception would have been. But I feel like they, I don't know, I feel like they didn't really do a lot of their characters justice when the new 52 started. I feel like a lot of them are just kind of thrown into their own books. To you know, I feel like a lot of the books that started with new 52, you could kind of pinpoint which ones would be canceled after a year. Yeah, like another another example of books that were let just let to go, like they just let them go, was were three specific books: uh, Grifter, Savage Hawkman, and Deathstroke. Mm-hmm. At, and um, after Rob Liefeld took them over, and it just became and like like Rob Liefeld, he he had a new to launch book. Yep, Hawk and, Hawk and Dove. And it got canceled, and he gets take to take over three other books, and the, and like I I loved what was happening with uh, Grifter, 
like what Nate Nate Edmondson was doing. And then when I, the first issue I read with Rob Liefeld, I wanted to vomit. <laughs> I don't even think I made it to Rob Liefeld. I think by that point, I was kind of on my way out of the comics. Because, I mean, yeah, there was a lot of stuff I was liking, like Voodoo. I liked Voodoo. But, yeah, just would have been a good fit to fit Milestone characters in there, and they just didn't. Didn't. Didn't give it a shot. It's kind of disappointing. But hopefully now, now that they're doing the Omniverse. Yeah, and anything can happen. Yep. Milestone returns. I, they're going to... I mean, I, they had... Dan Adia was in the final issue of his Metal Men uh, series. Like, miniseries. <laughs> I love all of that. Yeah, I'm hoping Milestone succeeds. It was a fantastic idea. It, you know, even if it didn't last as long as it should have. Um, they took a, a huge risk of starting a company. I actually have a question. Sure. What do I think what would have happened if Dwayne McDuffie, I think there would be a divergent timeline if Dwayne McDuffie chose to censor like or change the cover of Static 25? Oh, um, it's possible. I could see DC hanging in there a bit more. I don't know if it really would have changed everything in the long run, considering she was just as a whole at the time. Yeah. I think there would have been a lot less animosity <laughs> between everybody in Milestone and DC after that. But although, like, the working relationships around there probably would have been better, I don't know how that would have affected Dwayne giving up on his principles to let that slide. So, you know, that could have, you know, maybe he wouldn't have stayed on with the animation side. He could have <laughs> completely left DC after that or something. You know, it's, it's hard to say, but I think, I think regardless of how static went with that issue, I think milestone still would have probably ended about the same time it did. I don't know if DC would have continued giving them the resources when distributors and stuff wouldn't have given Milestone the fair share they deserved, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And how how it is now, I'm I'm really curious if Milestone is still going to succeed considering where DC and you know Warner Brothers and AT&T and all that is right now. Yeah. So message Javon in the uh, in the Snapchat. I posted the Legionnaires cover, and I said, "Javon, is this more provocative than Static Number Twenty Five?" And he, his response: three letters. Yep. <laughs> that says everything. Sex sells. DC knows it. That's why it's used on their covers so frequently. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, when we bring Javon on, I really want to talk to him being a black man in an industry that doesn't really support you and what something like milestone would have done for him. But, you know, all things considered, they took a huge risk. They changed, you know, the industry, at least in my view, they started to improve after milestone was founded. Um, you know, I feel like diversity started to branch out a little bit. It's still nowhere near what Milestone was trying to do. But I feel like it's gotten better because of all of them involved. I feel bad that 
you know, Christopher Priest is not considered a co-founder in the eyes of many people. I feel bad that someone like Michael Davis has kind of been blacklisted from DC in certain places that, I mean, hell, the fact that he wasn't able to really be given a shot at the very beginning. I'm really curious what all went down there. And hopefully I can maybe get some answers on that. If I get a chance to talk to him, you know, of course, Dwayne not being here anymore and not, having a say in where milestone is right now and all this stuff. It's there's a lot of sad things with milestone, but hopefully after all of this, you know, I'm sure a lot of minorities and people that weren't represented have found a way into comics because of milestone. Hopefully that continues to happen. Hopefully it keeps expanding into something that started out with a simple idea from Dennis Cowan into something more impactful than he ever believed would happen. And I think where it goes with milestone returns, we will see possibly the biggest change for um, fans of color and hopefully people who are Latino and people who are gay and all people who are Asian people who (laughs) anyone who is not a straight white male hopefully comes out better after milestone and returns is all said and done. I don't even know where I'm going. I'm just talking at this point, but <laughs> it's getting late. I'm tired. I'm sure you are too. <laughs> yeah. I have to do a podcast 12 hours from now. Yeah. Well, I get, let's go ahead and get to the outro. Um, again, remember next week we will touch on Dwayne McDuffie after milestone. Um, animation, some of this comic stuff he did, all that, including his death, sadly. And then the fourth week, we will talk about the animation stuff we've watched from Dwayne, the books we've read, both from Dwayne and just Milestone in general. Just, you know, kind of a nice little bookend on everything we've done. So, yeah, that's kind of what the next two episodes should be about. So, please rate review wherever you listen to these podcasts on. Um, that helps us out, and we always appreciate it. Also, don't forget to follow Hypertime Podcast on Twitter at HypertimePod. Um, if you have questions or topic suggestions, you can leave them there. But you can also email us at Hypertime, the number two podcast at gmail.com. Um, we also have other content. If you like video games at VGU.TV, um, you can check out our YouTube where many videos go up, mostly because of you, Alan. Um, you can follow our Twitter at VGU underscore TV Um, check out the podcasts such as the Players Club podcast and Win, which is the Week in News podcast by this time keeping it 100 bonus episodes will already be out oh is he finally getting those out yeah cool that's a long time coming I know he's been working pretty hard on getting all that Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at J-M-I-L-L-E 99 um, Alan, where all would you like them to follow you? At? They can follow me on Twitter at the Alamir. Now that's A L L A N M U I R. And it won't be an, uh, an episode of, of Hypertime without the tweet of the week. I'm, I'm going to, I need to do some sort of drop for that. <laughs> uh, I just simply posted uh, 12, 12 hours ago as of, as of recording time. Uh, the flash peaked in season two. Prove me wrong. And, <laughs> I saw uh, James respond to that. Yeah, yeah, James Pagello, former EIC of this of VGU, just replied with it peaked in season one, and I responded, and I responded with the Ben Stiller from 
dodgeball uh, gif. Touche. At some point, I'm going to get around to watching seasons. Yes, season season one really is good. Season two gets almost as good. Then it, it's it's oh, no man. Smallville, right? It, well, the season one is the closest to Smallville in terms of like how things are are the way the world is. Mm-hmm. But season two, they they explore um, the multiverse. Basically, season one of of Stargirl, the way I was I was reacting to that is the way I reacted to season one of Flash. Mm, okay. some point, I will get to it. I have so much I need to catch up on. <laughs> but with that, uh, we will bid you all adieu. We will see you further down the hyperton, and I hope you all take care. Bye! This has been a VGU.TV production. For all of the hottest hot takes and other opinions on video games, music, and a lot more, tune in to VGU.TV.